Love, reconciliation, understanding. Welcome to Weeds and Wheat. I'm your host, Jeff Clark Tosca. Welcome to Weeds and Wheat. And welcome to season two, episode one, where we focus on reconciliation. We're going to start this season with the topic of the church in two parts, episode one and two. What I'd love to get to is how we reconcile the role of the church and the modern society. But first, I'd like to start with the origin of the Christian church. Today, I'm joined by our guest, who you all know. You've heard before on the podcast, Canon Ian Elliott Davis. Father, welcome. Good to see you again. For those who haven't listened before, Father Davis is the rector of St. Thomas the Apostle in Hollywood and dean of the Incarnation Deanery in the Diocese of Los Angeles. Thank you for being on the podcast again. My pleasure. Good to be here. So, Father, what I'd love to do in episode one is to help the audience understand where the origins of the Christian church right. started, because I think a lot of people come to church now in a building and they automatically assume that that is church. Right. But after, take us back to when Jesus died mm-hmm. and he had followers. Yes. And it all kind of started there, didn't it? Well, the first followers of Jesus were obviously... Recording. Yeah. The first people that followed Jesus were... Jewish. Jewish. Oi. Oi, ve. Start this again. So... If the first people that were following Jesus were Jewish, were they accepted in society? If the first people that followed Jesus were Jewish, did the Jews of the day accept them as being Jewish? There's a lot of tension in the New Testament between the Gentile mission led by St. Paul, the apostle, and the Jewish mission, which is represented, I suppose, by St. Peter and his mission. And there is tension between those two saints. St. Paul opens up the message of the Christian gospel to Gentiles and to all people. Um, And that question of how far did the Jews have to adhere to the old Mosaic law be followers of Jesus. That was a crucial question for the first followers. So the first followers were doing their best to follow Jesus's teachings. And fast forward a little bit to, let's say, 200, 300 years after Jesus's death. Right. When when were Christians called Christians? Christians are are called Christians for the first time in Antioch, and it's recorded in the Acts of the Apostles. Before that, they were known as the followers in the way, followers of the way. Okay. So they were known as Christians, and was the religion legal? Could they... 
gathered together outside in buildings. At first, the religion was understood to be simply one sect within Judaism. And this is um, a very complex uh, time when there are myriad prophets and teachers and uh, people after whom uh, the disciples would follow. Um, and the Christians uh, were just one amongst a whole range of differing um, traditions, if you like. Were they, but who led the church or the Christians at that time? Um, the apostles, the, fo- the immediate followers of Jesus, the apostles were commissioned by him after the resurrection to take the message of the gospel into all the world. And we're told at the end of St. Matthew's gospel, go into all the world and baptize in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Um, so the first leaders were the apostles. Eventually that grew into um, what's called the Pentarchy. There were five patriarchs. There was one in the West, there was one in Antioch, one in Corinth, one in Jerusalem, and one in Alexandria in Egypt. So does that, were they considered the one holy apostolic church at that time? They would have started to call themselves oh, I see. one holy Catholic and apostolic church. Okay. But the, the formal structure of the church took many hundreds of years to, to work out. And when did that happen? When did we work out and become a legal religion? Oh, we became a legal religion. We um, Christians were persecuted under the Roman Empire, but eventually Constantine, Saint Constantine the Great, as he's known, the son of Saint Helena, he converted to Christianity and made the Christian religion, the state religion. There's an interesting story I read where when Constantine invited the bishops of the time to come together, he assumed that the Christian church was united in doctrine and in all beliefs and all traditions. But it quite wasn't that way, was it? It wasn't that way at all. There was immense diversity of belief between the bishops, the successors of the apostles, the bishops of the time. And that's what led to the Council of Nicaea in 325. And in the Council of Nicaea, from what I understand, it was the first time the bishops came out of the shadows together in one right. building, basically, didn't right. they? Under the the aegis of the emperor, Constantine, Okay. under his protection. And so they really became legitimate for the state right. at that time. Right. Paganism had been the state religion with a multiple number of gods. And so they were allowed, the bishops were allowed to come together under one roof. And I'm sure back then they were a little careful coming into one roof because they've been persecuted for so long. Right. And they came under one roof and Constantine basically said, we have to gather together and form one You've got to creed, together, right? Lads. Right. He kind of said he expected the religion to reinforce his political power. And that relationship oh, between I see. religion and politics is incredibly complex. And uh, there are many, many strands that need teasing out. 
uh, in that period. During that time, did, once the church, the Christian church, became legitimized basically for the empire and became okay for people to start venturing outside their homes and start gathering in public, is that right? Right, yes. Um, originally, of course, the first followers of Jesus would have worshipped in the synagogues and also in their homes, they were okay. churches. But eventually, um, the Christians, when they became the state religion, took over civic buildings called basilica. Ah. That's from the Greek word that means king. It was the king's kind of court. Okay. So is that the first time that we can consider a church building as the basilica? That's one of the earliest uh, types of buildings, yes. Okay. So is that the first time that a public building was used as a church? What I'm trying to get at is that I think a lot of times people met in their homes or in informal places to gather and worship back then. Right. And the Basilica, it seems like, was the first time that a state of sorts legitimized and said, it's okay to use public buildings, come out of the shadows and meet in these buildings. Is that, could we say that today's church is based on the first time that the basilicas were used then? That's a complicated question, and I'm not quite sure what the correct answer would be to that question. Sure. So the people, Christians back then, so they were called Christians, they were following bishops in certain areas of the world, and they had different traditions and different liturgies, different beliefs of sorts. They were all kind of around Christianity. Mm -hmm. And there were some things to kind of work out. That's what you referenced. Right. What were some things to work out? The major issues uh, at Nicaea were the nature of Christ, or the two natures of Christ, I should say, his humanity and his divinity. And how are those related? And how can they be um, the same kind of uh, essence, if you like, as God the Father? Right. Because, of course, being good, faithful Jews, they were strict monotheists mm-hmm. and um All of us can understand God as Father, but God as Son was a new and novel idea. So some people I heard actually believe that Jesus was a different God almost. Yes, Yes, that's one of the heresies of the early church. I see. Jesus was a demigod. A demigod, okay. um, Or a different kind of God from God the Father. God the Father had not created the heavens and the earth. They believed it was um, created, the heavens and the earth were created by by Christos, the Logos, this word who was a demigod and not truly God. And the Council of Nicaea decisively uh, came down on the side of Christians who believe that Jesus is both fully divine and fully human. And is that that agreement, is that where we got the Nicene Creed of today? Basically, yes. Well, tell us about heresy then. Um, 
Well, so let's fast forward to where we know that there were some disagreements. So the Nicene Creed obviously did not solve all the disagreements of all the bishops. They went back and there were still some differences that there were lots, lots of differences. Let's talk about the Great Schism then. So let's fast forward from the Council of Nicaea in 325. 325. That's a long time ago. To, yeah. to um, the Great Schism. So tell us what happened with the Great Schism. What happened with the Creed at Nicaea was it was written down in Greek and um, it was agreed upon by the majority of the bishops who were present and all of the bishops signed up to the Creed apart from about three or four of them. Um, but a hundred years later, the Patriarch of the West on his own authority inserts one single word into the Latin version of the creed, filioque, which means and the son. Uh, okay. And there's great disagreement because uh, all of the bishops quite rightly say, we spent a long time coming up with the creed of Nicaea and you can't just add or take away from it at your will. However, the bishops in the East said, ah, he's the patriarch of the West and only speaks Latin. He doesn't speak Greek. Mm. He doesn't understand the subtleties and nuances of the language. Mm. So they tolerated the Western church. They tolerated the filioque for hundreds of years, but it simmers along. And then eventually it boils over when the Patriarch of the West, the Bishop of Rome, or the Pope, as we would say today, mm. sent an emissary to Constantinople. And on Christmas Day, 1054, he marches up the aisle <laughs> during the liturgy and slams on the table, on the altar, the papal bull excommunicating the Patriarch <gasps> of Constantinople. Oh, my. Okay. He then issues his own bull excommunicating the Patriarch of the West, thus the great uh, schism between East and West. Has that reconciled? No. Um, there have been movements towards reconciliation and the Patriarch of Constantinople or the East and the Bishop of Rome have had meetings since then, obviously, um, but the churches have not reached full communion. And it's very interesting. We imagine that maybe Southern Baptists or extreme Protestants are against the Pope. There is nothing compared to certain members of the Orthodox Church who believe that the Pope is a heretic. Oh, wow. Um, there are monks on Mount Athos who would say the Pope is the Antichrist. Oh, my. Okay. So, no, we haven't so, reconciled. No, we haven't reconciled between East and West, but uh, the tensions are still there, even though people do get on a lot better these days than they did in the past. This has been a fascinating history of the church. So, we've gone from when Christ died. Um, it was a little loosey-goosey there for a while of like, uh, what do we call ourselves? Well, was it loosey-goosey? Tell us why it wasn't loosey-goosey. I think that Christ's um, 
two commandments, to love God with all one's heart and mm-hmm. soul and mind, mind, as well as to love one's neighbor as oneself. Those are fairly demanding and uh, strict commandments to follow, if you like. They are. In the next episode, what I'd like to get into is, um, does the church now, in current day, fulfill the commandments that Christ gave the early followers? Mm -hmm. That's a very deep question. Great. We'll explore that next episode. Thank you, Father. Thank you.